Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for today. Um, thank you for the fathers in our midst. Um, we uh, commend this time and class to you today as we uh, think about where we are here in Birmingham in the United States uh, in an increasingly post-Christian society and what that means for us realistically. Where there is hope, let us see hope. Uh, where we need to be wise, uh, make us wise, so that we might be able to welcome even the non-believers in our midst with hospitality and love. These things for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. Um, so today, uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, that's totally fine. Uh, each of these lessons kind of stand alone, though they do build on each other. If you've been following um, most of the, the time, uh, we're talking about Christianity in a post-Christian age. And um, today we're going to talk about expecting non-believers in church. And, you know, for some of you that might be a a, a totally novel idea to think about that. Uh, But it it happens even here at the Advent. Um, But just to back up a little bit in terms of what we've been talking about, for those of you uh, who want to catch up, and uh, for those of you who've been coming just to um, refresh your mind, is that the first assumption is that in the United States and Western culture in general, uh, the United States has some lag time behind places like Western Europe, but uh, that we're increasingly living in uh, a sort of what you could call a post-Christian age. Um, and actually, most of history has not been Christian. And so what we're seeing is, is a lot like what societies around the world have, have been like all along. We've just had the privilege of living in a society, especially in the South or the Midwest, but even in uh, places in, in, the, in the north, you know, there, was, there were eras where it was predominantly much more Christianized. Uh, and that, what's happened is, uh, in terms of intellectual thought, you know, modernity has set roots into Western culture, and that has uh, caused us to think in certain ways. Uh, and usually you see the most advancements with these things in terms of arts. Um, and so right now we'll talk about post-modernity, uh, but really, you see that mostly in the arts. But most people tend to still be modernists, uh, in, functionally speaking, and not postmodernists. So we kind of live in a late modern era, and we're on the the precipice of postmodernity, which is like we could just sort of throw everything out in terms of any institution or authority. You know, science doesn't even matter anymore in postmodernity. You just make it up for yourself. Uh, whereas in modernity, science is a really important thing. Um, and so that uh, comes into play in terms of the way we think about religion and whatnot. So we've talked a lot about that here. And if we're the church in that sort of era, it requires us to think and operate differently than if we're living in Christendom, uh, because uh, it requires us to think more like missionaries, um, because we're living uh, amongst uh, people who uh, do not think and believe the things that we believe in, and so uh, the missionaries in, in, in countries that are obviously not Christian 
have a better understanding of what that feels like most acutely. And so we can kind of learn uh, from not only missionaries abroad, but the earliest church uh, lived in a very uh, pagan Greco-Roman society that looks increasingly more like what we are experiencing here in America. And we talked about, uh, <clears throat> practically speaking, that means we need to pay attention to where we are contextually in our culture and to not be strange where we don't need to be strange, that the gospel alone is strange for itself, and we don't need to add to the perplexity. Uh, that the gospel message needs to be the strangest thing about us in our response to the gospel. And usually that means something countercultural in that we're marked by love. And our love is seen in uh, the way that we carry ourselves in society and confronting the idols that society holds up often as, as noble values. Wealth, power, uh, free love, you know, I mean, have all the sex you want. Uh, things like that. And so Christianity uh, is going to where it has um, the Christian church, where it has certain particular um, uh, uh, values and ethics based on the Bible and the gospel message needs to stay firm in that and not capitulate to society and yet still remain winsome <laughs> and loving. It's a very difficult task in the early church and missionaries have a, a better understanding of, of what that's like. And this often comes to play in, in our everyday life, not, not just Sunday morning. You know, I mean, your vocation, your work, and your workplace. Uh, most of us work, quote unquote, secular jobs. Um, and <clears throat> we can't take our sort of Christian identity, we shouldn't take our Christian identity uh, off um, outside of Sunday morning. Um, we should be uh, marked as Christians and maybe not. Again, being overly strange, uh, that we don't need to go around throwing Bible verses at people and stuff like that. It means something entirely different. As a matter of fact, when uh, Chris uh, Copeland came in, we talked about vocation. He said, I actually think Christians should be in the workplace marked by excellence. We should do our jobs well. Uh, that often uh, the church and uh, Christianity is guilty of mediocrity and sentimentalism, and those are the kinds of things that make us look strange uh, to the outside world, again, in ways that we don't need to. Uh, and so those are all the things that we've kind of talked about up to this point, and the thing we want to talk about today is particularly in, in terms of the church. Not just Sunday morning, but Sunday morning, yes, but um, the life and ministry and community of, of the church expecting non-believers in the church. Um, and I'll just note that this is, uh, this is personal to me. This is my personal experience. Uh, I was not, I'm not a cradle Episcopalian. I'm not a cradle Christian. Uh, I love to say that I'm a cradle atheist. Uh, I was raised in an atheistic home, maybe more agnostic. But my dad definitely at times had very disparaging things to say about all religion in general. And so that's where I come from. And there were periods in my life where I was a non-Christian trying to go to church and figure it out. I'll tell you one story. Some of you have heard it, but I love to tell it. I was church shopping in San Francisco. <laughs> That's a great phrase. Has somebody ever said that? That's a novel utterance. No one's ever said that before. <laughs> I was church shopping in San Francisco, and there are evangelical churches in San Francisco, Catholics and evangelicals, the main line basically non-existent. Um, and I went to this church near my house, and I figured, well, I'll try it out. It's an easy walk. Hardly anybody there. I mean, it was basically as big as this room in here, you know? And so, obviously, I was the outsider. And basically, also, one of the very few white people there. And so I stood out. 
And during the announcements, the pastor said, do we have any new folks today? (laughs) And I reluctantly raised my hand, and he said, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, We don't know why you're here today, but it's by God's divine appointment that he's called you to be here, which I I agree with, actually. And we have a newcomer song for you. And everybody stood up (laughs) and got out of their seats and circled around me and sang... This song that basically, this is why the church is so small. Um, <laughs> that's, they sang this song that said, uh, the chorus said, we don't care what church you come from. And I wasn't coming from any church. Uh, as long as Jesus is your savior. And I didn't know whether Jesus was my savior or not. And so that's, a stra- that's, part, that's on the very strange end, you know, in terms of being a non-believer. I did, yeah, I escaped when nobody was looking. We do things like that around here, you know, we just are better dressed. and um, but, the, but it can be difficult as an outsider uh, coming in. I brought in uh, statistics uh, that only some of you have, but I've referenced a lot of stuff all along from Barna. Barna is a lot like, you know, the Pew Research House, but they specifically look at what they call Theographics, I think they call it. They look at the spiritual life of, of American culture. And so they ask a lot of uh, questions, metrics based on uh, Christianity in particular, but spirituality in general. And uh, I just noticed this one recently that they had actually a ranking of cities and 100 uh, based on their metrics of several different questions. What are the most post-Christian cities in the least based on metropolitan area and, and I've brought some other statistics in here that seem a little bit different in terms of specifics, though the general broad strokes are similar. If you look at the first column, there are no cities in the south except for a couple in Texas that are near New Mexico, which is basically the west coast, and Florida. But Florida is basically New Jersey, um, <laughs> except for the Panhandle. Uh, and then on the right, it's all cities mostly in the Midwest and the south. Uh, and so, um, and you can kind of guess that based on anecdotal evidence, but here we have statistics that sort of back it up. That the thing is, though, that these most post Christian cities by ranking tend to be very large metropolitan urban centers where there's a lot of people, and it has a lot of influence on not just its own people, but its surrounding region and Western culture in general. I mean, think of New York City, golly. Uh, San Francisco, um, Los Angeles, where movies are made, uh, things like that. Uh, and so it's, uh, th- therefore, the, the ripple effect is, is going to be quite strong. Uh, and we'll see this. It'll be interesting to track the data over a number of years. Uh, and so Birmingham's at, toward the bottom, you know, 19%, whatever that means, of people who are Post, you know, post postmodern type people, right? Or post Christian, uh, you know. I mean, who who embody the, the, the what I'm talking about? Only 19%. That's a big number, actually. 19% can be a movement in a city. I mean, 19% Nazi Germany. You know what I mean? Like 19%. I'm uh, sorry, that's a bad analogy, but I'm saying <laughs> 19% of the population can actually change the culture is what I'm saying, okay, in, in terms of total radical shift. And so you might say, well, it's barely, it's barely there, um, but, uh, but uh, it, it'll probably grow. And it's not just our own people in Birmingham, but 
you have you have relatives, you have children who live in some of these cities on the the left hand column, you know, um, uh, uh, skiing somewhere in Colorado or whatever it is. Um, and so uh, and so, it's not just our own uh, town; it's our it's our entire American culture. And uh, the thing is, though, and and, um, and also the the other uh, sheet that I've got there is from a, a Barna thing that I bought is statistics for our own region that tracks different metrics of, that gets really specific about what people actually believe. And the one that was most interesting to me is down at the bottom left is the idea of what they call under-belief segments. This is Birmingham, Anniston, Tuscaloosa, notional Christians, 22%. Now what's a notional Christian? It's a non-believer. It's somebody who's unconverted. It's somebody who's not thrown their life behind Jesus Christ. It's somebody, you know, we often talk about cultural Jews, uh, and that's a familiar concept to us. People who might keep, they might even keep kosher, but they don't. I actually know some folks like this who keep kosher, who keep Sabbath, um, and they do not believe in Yahweh. I think nominal will be another way to say, I think they're, they're using their own term, but basically nominal is another way to say that. Um, and so, so we might think of around the world, around the country, post-Christian age is marked by, you know, postmodern, new age, atheism, agnostic, whatever. That might be the stereotype. But in a place like Birmingham or the South, Post-Christian is marked increasingly, at least for this generation, by notional or nominal Christianity, um, which means, and the, some of the some folks who are notional Christians don't go to church. Some do. Some with regularity. Some without. Um, and they have other questions that they ask about, like how often do people actually read the Bible and pray. And it's surprising in Birmingham that only like 50% of people actually do that on a regular basis, even though a lot of them are going to church. Stuff like that. Um, so again, expecting non-believers in church, I think for us means not just the sort of stereotypical vision of like an atheist, but in the South, nominal Christianity, which for me is a totally strange concept. It took me a while to realize there are people in church who don't believe this stuff. Like, I, you know, coming from the West Coast, like, that's just a non-concept. You, you, it just doesn't exist hardly. Um, it, so, you know, you go to church because you actually believe this stuff, uh, whereas here, uh, there, the, the, the statistic is a little bit different. We're divided pretty much in some ways. Like I've had a neighbor now long dead who thought if you came to the Advent, you couldn't be a Christian. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's certain assumptions around that too. But there are plenty of people at Advent we know who are totally committed and their life's been changed by the message of Jesus Christ. We know better than that. And, and plenty of churches around the city. And there are places that we imagine as the most sort of evangelical in Birmingham, you know, fill in the blank. There are notional Christians there too. Okay. Um, notional. So you you agree with the notion of Christianity, right? You all identify as a Christian culturally, but you have not. Uh, this has not sunk into your life beyond perhaps Sunday morning and funerals, weddings, Easter, you're things like there, that. You're not there. Right. Yeah. Unconverted basically is what I would. Kind of, well, I would say. Christian in name only. Exactly. Yeah. That word nominal yeah. would be along that 
Um, so the discussion's already started. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I just can't help but ask what a non-evangelical born-again Christian is. Yeah. I've never heard that. They have, they have descriptions. Some of these d- d- are, have to do with societal definitions. Um, but I would say, like, you can be um, an Episcopalian and born again. I mean, this is, you know, John's gospel. Born again is biblical sort of language. Uh, one must be born again, uh, converted. Um uh, that their their life has been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's at work. And now you can be raised in the church, the cradle of Episcopalian, and this can happen to you without a sort of shocking, immediate sort of conversion experience. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, but there, so so I think what they're saying is in a in a in a community that's not sort of as the society defines as evangelical. You know what I mean? Large E, evangelical. Right. The Episcopal Church is not evangelical culture, basically, even though many of us would identify as evangelical Christians. Okay? Uh, So I hope you're tracking with me. I don't get bogged down in all that as much as I want to say, what does this mean? Uh, By the way, there's a, I've brought this up. If you want to, if you are a very academic type, um, tons of really solid research based on youth in the last decade, this book called Soul Searching by Christian Smith. Uh, if you want to see that Brandon and I aren't making this stuff beyond, up beyond Barna, uh, <clears throat> look this stuff up at least. And there's actually a documentary. It's now a decade old based on the book. I think it would probably take like two sessions, but it might be interesting sometime to watch like half of it over the course of two Sundays at a class like this and have some discussion, which summarizes the research of what they call moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, which sort of describes what we're talking about in terms of notionally, nominally, and name-only uh, Christian, <clears throat> that the, the prevailing spirituality of Americans tends to be what they call moralistic therapeutic deism, no matter what you are uh, in name. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that means that, people, that as Paul said in, in Athens, I see that you're a religious people. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could say that now. I see that you Americans are a religious people, um, but uh, you have, you know, the, the deity of the $1 bill, right? You know what I mean? Isn't that what it is, the pyramid with the eye? <laughs> it's a nameless God, basically, who's all-seeing, big brother, but it's not, it's not the God of Jesus Christ and Christianity. And so there's that stuff. What are the practical implications of all that I'm talking about here for us? And Brandon will add to this, um, and I want to leave some time for discussion. First is to be aware of the reality. Number one, I mean, I've mentioned this to some folks, and people are like, I don't, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Everybody I know is a Christian. I didn't realize anybody at the Advent is not a Christian um, or a non-believer. Um, and uh, I would say just be uh, open to the reality. First of all, that's going to that's gonna change things for us to just be aware of it, first of all. And then I would say that, again, we need to go back to those concepts that we talked about in the beginning in terms of contextualizing the message, uh, speaking in the vernacular language of the culture to communicate the gospel in ways that people can understand. Um, because often we speak in language that we understand and assume everybody else does, but it's basically is Christianese, uh, even if it doesn't sound stereotypically Christianese. It's Episcopalese or whatever, you know. And uh, I remember when I became an Episcopalian and going to communion services without a bulletin, and the the priest just launched in, and I'm like, where the heck is everybody? What is this, right one, right two? Like, I just, I was so perplexed, and I wanted to know, so I sought him out 
and say, can you show me where this stuff is? <laughs> Nobody does that. I mean, I'm a self-starter, right? I mean, I ended up getting ordained. I'm a really <laughs> strange person in terms of what we're talking about here. Most people don't go out of their way to do that. They just don't come back. Uh, and so, uh, but and again, like I said, people are religious in America, so they're seeking transcendence. They're seeking answers. They're they're spiritual, but perhaps not religious. And so they come to places like church, especially a big one at the corner of a 6th Avenue and a 20th Street that looks like a church and has bells. You know, <laughs> when they're going through crisis, uh, sometimes people, they'll be like on Saturday, uh, you know, my life is falling apart. I think I need to go to church tomorrow. I've seen one downtown across the street from where I work. So I'm going to try that one out, you know, and this happens on any given Sunday, not only here, but the IPCs and the Canterbury's, the places that actually look like church, uh, people uh, uh, come to, and so we have to we have to be able to to articulate what we're talking about in a, a language that people can understand, and yet still um, that that will help us to evangelize non-believers and yet edify the saints. That's the real difficult thing. It's simultaneously to speak in, a, in ways and languages that both uh, in, uh, communicate the gospel so that uh, it will be at work in people's hearts who do not believe this yet and, and still be edifying to those who do. Um, and that's not just my job it's, it, or Andrew's job or the clergy's job. That's all of our, that's all of our work, you know, to share in this, like I said, not just Sunday morning but in small groups, uh, um, you know, different ministries that you might be involved in in terms of service and, and whatnot, or in your workplace, where you spend your day, wherever that is, school, advocations, things like that. And so the ministry practices need to sort of do double duty for both the, the, the non-believer and the believer. Uh, and that's uh, basically that means uh, the, the message of grace. We all need to hear that. You know, uh, we all need to hear it. And yet sometimes uh, being completely aware that there are non-believers and to name that. You know, some of you might uh, in this room not, not believe the Christian message. You know, I've been there uh, and I totally get it. And not only will I, am I willing to talk about that, but I'm sure that some folks in, in this room are too to explain it more. I think we can uh, do that kind of thing uh, more often. And again, I think there are two mistakes that the Christian culture makes uh, I'll say this, and then I'll hand it um, over to uh, to Brandon. Is that um, when we are living in uh, increasingly the minority in a culture, we'll either become sectarian and retreat and have our uh, ghetto, um, and our holy huddle, whatever that looks like, whether that's in your family or. A, a monastery or a monastic-like existence, uh, and and what happens is we do not evangelize when we do that. Uh, we 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 decline, we die over the course of a generation, except for the very few people who are attracted to becoming Amish, right? <laughs> or we grow through birth rates, <laughs> uh, but but we're not we're not being a light uh, to the nations when we're doing that. Really, uh, we're expecting people to come to us rather than, as Jesus said, to go out to them and to live as uh, sheep amongst wolves. Bonhoeffer talks about this in Life Together. That's the Christian life, is being living in the, in, amongst enemies. We need to come and be Christians amongst Christians to have a retreat from the enemy, enemy territory, but we don't need to remain there 24-7. Um, and uh, the other opposite extreme is to completely blend in 
uh, and to live like modernist people and to capitulate to cultural idols and to begin to say, I totally get it. I want to be loving and nice and I'm sympathetic to your causes. And although I believe in Jesus Christ, I know the Bible says these really strange things. I don't actually believe in those things. What happens is the Christian message loses its teeth. People are no longer attracted to it. And those churches actually don't grow, ironically. They die too <laughs> because it doesn't look any different than uh, what people are, are experiencing in, in, in day-to-day life. Uh, and <clears throat> so... Um, I think I'll just hand it over to you. There's some other things I wanted to say, but I've talked too long and we need time for discussion. Any other things to add to this, Brandon? You just want to unplug it? Yeah, yeah. I think just to conclude, um, and Matt, it, it occurred to me as I was listening to him, the irony in in this class and the heart behind uh, what we're trying to get across. We're actually, did, you, did you realize as we were reading through the statistics that we were talking about unbelievers as if they were out there and we in here are believers, right? Um, right. In a sense, the heart behind the whole message of the class is all of the church's life should be uh, captured by a vision that unbelievers will be in our midst, right? Um, for too long have we organized ourselves in such a way that we think in here is this Christian club and out there are the unbelievers, right? But to summarize, um, in the post-Christian world, churches need to be organized in such a way that we are so captivated by a vision of being a witnessing community, bearing witness to Jesus, um, that we know how to graciously welcome in the outsider, right? We should, in our small groups, in our Sunday school Christian ed hour, in our worship, um, etc., in everything we do, we need to have... Uh, the spirit of being a gracious and welcoming community to outsiders and unbelievers. So I guess it's um, well. That's okay. That was one thing I was going to say is a fully integrated ver- vision of ministry. That's not like evangelism is a siloed department of like I'm the canon for evangelism. I shouldn't be the only person evangelizing in this community of 3,600 people, right? We should all. I mean, that comes with. That's actually one of the Barna questions based on the metrics of what's a notional versus a, 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 a born again Christian. A born again Christian realizes it's our not only our duty, but just with this urge inside of us to share this message. And so, uh, evangelism should take place yeah. in all these other lives, uh, areas of life of the church that you mentioned. Yeah, and I mean, this just comes to mind off the cuff. I mean, I just challenge you to read through the New Testament, read through Acts, read through um, 1 Peter, even some of Paul's letters. What what is the... uh, Notice that we are to be a witnessing community. I mean, if you think of 1 Peter, uh, Peter is always going with this theme of we are exiles, we are sojourners in a foreign land, right? And he's... He's calling the Christians to recognize as your exiles, bear witness to Jesus, live in such a way that you are pointing to God and um, recognize that you, you want to care your life to be characterized in such a way that unbelievers see your good deeds, he says, and so glorify God. Right. Um, so I guess the question for all of us is, are we ready as a community to welcome in the outsider? Are we do we own the faith enough? Can we all articulate the gospel to feel comfortable in our own skin when um, when someone walks in our door in the 9 o'clock service, the 11 o'clock service, that we can all 
feel equipped to address them with the gospel or to just be hospitable and welcoming. I don't just mean, hello, how are you, and being polite, right? But um, are we ready to organize our whole system and structure in such a way that we will welcome in the outsider, right? Because we're not called for ourselves. That's why I challenge you to read the New Testament. We're called to be a witnessing community, always pointing away from ourselves to, to Christ. So we, a word that comes to mind is we want to be porous, right? We want, we want there to be a sense of this is not an insider club, right? This is a, a witnessing community. So we want to... Um, yeah, and that can be difficult when you look at our, our building and you think of church as the idea of building, um, the church as a community of people. That's the, the New Testament word meant assembly. It's a group of people. But our building looks like a fortress, you know, and so it doesn't look super porous. How can we make it porous and permeable? It's through us, really. I mean, uh, we have to make up for the, the fact that our, we have a mighty fortress of an edifice, right? Um, that can be hard to enter. I mean, it can be really difficult. I know that it's like to open even the door when you realize this is a big risk that I'm taking. Um, and so in order to do that, it's how we carry ourselves, not only in this building, but seven days a week, you know, um, yeah. uh, out, out in the world in our houses and things like that. Final, final comment that I, I hope just reinforces the point. If we were in Saudi Arabia, I, would we characterize, would we carry on in the same way that we carry on here? Um, I know he's not quoted a lot here, um, but I think it's a helpful analogy. Uh, a lot of our church life is in, as John Piper says, peacetime mode. We're in peacetime mode. Um, but he actually calls on the church to be in wartime mode, right? Um, when the church is in wartime mode, we know where the resources are going. They're not here for our consumer preferences. They're to go to the front lines, right? Um, so. Well, we've got 15 yeah. minutes for and I saw discussion. I, I saw a hand over here. Was your question Sorry? Was your question Which About question? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. No, 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 About no, Saudi Arabia. Sorry, I said a lot, and I... Yeah, are we ready for this? Well, yes. it was the one about, are we ready to welcome in the people, blah, 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 and when they come to the door and they're not believers? It was rhetorical and yet a legitimate question. Well, I have a rhetorical reply. I like that. That's, that's what, yeah, that's, that's what classes well, like this are the, for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Have we been trained? Um, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, that That's a... The, the, the big part of the life of the church is not only to edify the saints, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Yeah, Holly. I think the first thing that is required to be a porous community is to be welcoming, and it's actually way easier than you think. Like, I went up to a couple today who I didn't know, and I just said, hi, I don't think we've met before, I'm Holly. And that's all I said. And we had a whole conversation, and it does turn out that they've been here before. <laughs> But that way, you know, if, if it was their first time, I'm not like, you look so out of place, you know? Or, um, but I'm also not letting them leave the church having never spoken to someone. So I think, I think that's like a super simple but staple way to welcome people into the community yeah. and then address whatever they present to you as, you know, where do I go to find this or how do I do that? But I also want to say that I have a friend who quotes scripture, goes to a synagogue, and is basically a believer in the prosperity gospel and doesn't see any of those things as counterintuitive. I think, I think that's where our community is going, where if you believe in God, 
goes to our church and being well educated and having Sunday schools and things like that. And then also pairing that with the ability to say, hi, what's your name? Is, is gonna help our church to continue to share the gospel in a way that, I mean, you, sometimes I think people think you have to be like super outgoing or you have to be super eloquent, or you have to have the, just the right argument or be prepared in some certain way, but really I think it's just like putting your foot out there and being available. Yeah, thanks. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll add to all this, like I, I hope that like you don't leave here and, and feel weighed down by this, okay? Like uh, that it's a, uh, um, this sort of heavy thing that we're telling you ought to do. As much as I hope that we're opening your eyes to the reality if you weren't aware of it or um, the, the, the details of it if you were, um, and to be curious about what this means uh, for us as a, as a community. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, if, uh, if you're convicted by this message, I hope that you're interested in other people being convicted by it too, and being becoming a part of the, the community because we need e- we need each other. Uh, we can't be lone ranger Christians, and so anybody who's coming to the faith needs a community as well. Uh, and so, therefore, we have to be porous uh, for their sake, uh, because if they're trying to survive on their own in a pagan society, it's not gonna, it's just not going to last. It'd be very difficult. Uh, I saw another hand over here. But yeah. Well, I was going to say. Uh, we need to be trained. I mean, yeah. know, it's love God, love your neighbor, period. And if you do that, then, you know, do, do we need to have... Uh, yeah, I, th- I uh, think you can uh, have training. Elevator that. speech, you know, or, or can it just be genuine? Yeah, um, sure. There are definitely some some basics, but um, I think it doesn't hurt to, to talk about these things and think about some practical implications of, of what that means, especially learning from people who've thought about this uh, more than us. Um, a lot of the class that we're uh, facing, our six lessons, is based on um, a book that Tim Keller wrote. Um, Keller is really well acquainted with this type of stuff because he's pastored a church for, I don't know, 20-something years in New York City, which is obviously a post-Christian society and has been for a lot longer than a place like the South is. And so we can learn from, from people like Keller who've had to to address these things head on because they have to. They have to, have to, have to. Now, we don't feel like we have to in a place like Birmingham, perhaps, because we're in still kind of the Bible Belt, uh, but it doesn't hurt. It certainly doesn't hurt to learn from places like that and to begin to uh, apply some of that thinking. Uh, and I find that, as I said, double duty. You know, I mean, it evangelizes the non evangelized, but that sort of stuff edifies the saints, uh, that the, the practices that we put in place that are welcoming on Sunday morning are not only great for the first-time person, but isn't it great for you <laughs> to you know, come to your church they've been coming to for decades and, and to be welcomed, <laughs> uh, to have people say hi to you, and uh, to be in a welcoming community. That, so that's what I mean by um, those practices doing double duty, and certainly we can learn. Yeah, yeah, Troy. Yeah. Pick up on Holly's point. Um, one of the things that we have been talking about in the vestry is the fact to recognize that in the context that you're talking about, you know that we're a downtown church that does look pretty formal. We do dress up a little more than than, than most do, and we have a fairly formal approach. And all of that is a bit intimidating. So that the the conviction for us is to be um, on the 
Vesper, we were talking about how, how do we become very intentionally welcoming. And the idea that is instead of stressing about, because I don't want to, I, I still struggle with how do I evangelize, but I know I can walk up and greet someone. And, and just, your, your line is great, is, is just to say hello. And because most of us pull back a little bit because we're not sure you go here or have a seat recently. Yeah. Or, yeah. And the point is, it doesn't matter. And, they, and so you'll watch the vestry members are in three different places with their spouses, just welcoming and greeting. And what we see is, even members, it's just really nice. You're hustling, you've got your kids, you're kind of stressed out. And for someone to stop and you know shake your hand and say good morning and welcome and have a smile, this makes a big difference in how people feel. If you get them to feel comfortable, they can be here and they can hear the message. And so for us, I think step one is just to all be good ambassadors. Step one to evangelism is being engaging. Uh, you, you, you cannot share, you, you have to have the, um, the, uh, trust and uh, the sort of capital in the person's mind to, to hear the mess for them to hear the message. You, I was walking across Boston Common once and this really eager 20 year old messianic Jew walked up to me with a tract and wanted to evangelize me and walked with me all the way across Boston Common and talked to me about Jesus and I just was like I, you just you've dehumanized me you've You've turned me into a means to your end of another notch on your belt, but you didn't engage me. You have no platform, you have no authority in my life to share this. I was already a Christian, uh, but I just was curious to hear what he had to say and see what that's like. Uh, but I just, you know, and, and uh, if it were some other random person, I just, and that, and, you know, and, and God works in mysterious ways, and that can work. It has worked. I've heard stories. But mostly it doesn't. Mostly it requires some platform of engagement and hospitality yeah what's the best way to start evangelizing I can recall for many years I wasn't a Christian and you look at a football game and see John 316 that meant nothing right yeah and I had people that were friends of mine who would want to save me and get me on my knees and say do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior and I would say I don't know what that means. Yeah. So I think you have to start a little the first slowly. Step, the first step is prayer. I really want to start say that the, the, the first step for us is yeah. a prayerful dependence on God. Uh, and uh, if we're not doing that, this whole thing is going to fall apart. And I think, Sandy, you asked a question a couple weeks ago, and I said, uh, I noticed that when I pray for people, it not only does it change my relationship with God and bring about new realities for me but it changes my relationship with that person yeah. Yeah. and so that I'm not I'm, I can it's it becomes increasingly difficult to dehumanize them that uh, it helps me to love them the first pray and maybe it's not a person in particular but like gosh uh, you know to be ready for the the, the the possibility to share the hope that I have at any given time Sandy do you want to add something yeah this is kind of nuts and bolts you know you're talking about speaking to people in Cleveland well the average newcomer is scared to death to come into Cleveland's. And I found that the back five rows of the Advent are where new people sit. And if you sit back there, I remember one lady that, you know, I would see her and I'd feel she didn't know anybody. So I'd speak to her after church and then I'd try to sit behind her and after church, you know, say, hey, say, hey, I'm going to the next class if you want to join me. So oftentimes it's not even so much if you have a wonderful evangelistic word 
but invite them to one of our wonderful Sunday school classes that do, and then they feel a part, and yeah, and you know, Charlie, to your point, with the people trying to get you on your knees and to have this conversion experience, that it just doesn't happen that way for most people. Most people might have that moment eventually, but it takes a sort of steady exposure to the message and the community, and it can begin with someone simply being hospitable um, and taking a loving interest, uh, and and then uh, you know being open to hearing what we have to, to say. Yeah, surely. Um, I don't think we have time to get into this really now, but I'm, I'm curious if you're going to, if one of the classes is going to talk any more about the nominal Christians among us. I, I feel like some of your articles in The Adventurer have touched a nerve, and probably for me personally, but I'm sure for other people and who say, well, grew up in the church, right? Yeah. and I've, you know, been born again, I mean, I've done all yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I've prayed the prayer, I've, done, I've been to Christia, I've been, you know, am I, am I one of these people he's talking about? I mean, I think... If you, if you have that across, question, probably not. I mean, I've, I've, but I mean, I've, I've, I've heard, I feel like I hear this, I feel like it's touched a nerve, and so I guess my question is, and it's, you're probably going to say it just comes back to being engaging and but when you're close to people and and you sense that they are in that category of nominal Christian, but they would never admit that or would never acknowledge that, is there any? Is there any any? I just don't know how to. Look, the, with, that. Okay, with ministry, this is great. I love that, I'm, and I'm talking tons. If you want to add anything, uh, there, the, this is a great discussion. Obviously, we need to continue it, and we won't yeah. with the next class because we're going to talk about something else. Yeah. But there's no silver bullet. Yeah. Uh, with evangelism, there's no magic bullet. Uh, as we said, as Brandon was saying, like this has to do with the whole life of the church. Sunday morning is a place to start, uh, but um, it has to do with our community and how all of us are sharing life together 24-7, 365, either with our families or in small groups or your friends that you share life with, um, however that is. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, go, again, go back to Acts 2, as Brandon said, read the New Testament and see what happens after Paul uh, preaches the gospel and people say, what must we do? Repent and be baptized. And then what do they do at the end of that chapter? They share life together. And their shared life together wasn't a holy huddle and a ghetto mentality. Uh, it was, uh, they, they were going to the temple, <laughs> the Jewish temple to worship. They were in Jerusalem and seen and marked by this message, so much so that people were like, What's going on here? I want to know more about that. Uh, I'm attracted not just to the message, but to the community uh, and wanting to be a part uh, of this community that's been completely transformed by this crazy message. Um, and so I think we, you know, we're doing that in space in so many ways, but uh, we're used to a certain way of model of ministry that's based on you know, tw early half a 20th century where we could assume that most people were Christianized by the institutions of society, not just church, but schools and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. That's no longer the case. And so we have to, we can't just keep tracking along and thinking uh, that it's going to continue to work. Um, we, uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist. We're not trying to be alarmists. And, reactionary again as much as just sort of 
be open to the sort of reality of the situation uh, and where it's going. Yeah. And I, I've got to go in church. Do you want to take this last question? Yeah. yeah, I've got a question yes, on the writing I have no idea. <laughs> First, yeah, you know, uh, different demographic. What do they say? 40, 48% of all statistics are wrong. So. 